0: But I encourage you to take out your outline. And uh, I want to do this message today I'm very passionate about in two messages. And because of the way the breaks are coming up with our schedule next week, the c are here. And the week after that, I'll be speaking on Father's Day. And there's just not a two-week interval to put this message into two parts. So this is going to be 40 minutes long. And I encourage you to take out your pen, make sure there's lots of ink in it. And we're going to cover this, and I encourage you, but I think it's important to do this in one sitting so that we understand that why we must stand with Israel. You know, this sermon is especially for students who are getting ready to go to college or who are already in college, but it's also important for us as Christians to really have a foundation of why we need to stand and support Israel. You know, the prompting for this message is the recent attacks by Hamas sending over 2,000 missiles into Israel. Then Israel's measured response and defense of itself. We need to have compassion for the Palestinians and the Jewish people that they can come to a place of reconciliation and ability to coexist peacefully. Now, from a spiritual standpoint, we know that ultimately that's not going to occur until Jesus returns. That's when the Prince of Peace comes and establishes real peace throughout the world. But I want to talk about this because we see the rise of anti-Semitism in our culture, in our colleges, across campuses, across our country. It says, uh, a recent study from 2019 says the Jews in the United States suffered the largest number of anti-Semitic incidents since the Anti-Defamation League began collecting records 40 years ago. You see these statistics on the screen, the, two, the 2,107 anti-Semitic Incidents recorded in 2019 in the U.S. included deadly attacks by gunmen at a California synagogue and a New Jersey kosher grocery store, and a fatal stabbing of a rabbi at his home in New York City. It marked a 12% rise from 1,879 incidents in 2018. In 2019, as I was uh, taking care of my uncle's estate not far from Squirrel Hill, Pennsylvania, I drove by this synagogue. In 2018, a gunman killed 11 worshipers at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh in the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in U.S. history. So for Christians of all ages, we need to have a clear understanding of why we must and we must support and stand with Israel. It's a biblical mandate that those who bless the Jews will be blessed and those who curse the Jews will be cursed. It is in our best interest as Americans to support a strong democracy in the Middle East as a deterrent against terrorism, not just in that region, but also the terrorism that could come from that region to our country as well. So in Isaiah chapter 60, take your Bible, turn over to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60 for our scripture reading this morning, as we talk about God's plan for Israel And that the church has not replaced and taken on the promises of Israel. That's called replacement theology or supersessionism, which we'll talk about in a few moments. But Israel has a bright future. And without Israel, you and I, without the Jews, we would not be here today. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Isaiah, the prophet says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness The peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, Israel, and his glory will be seen upon you. And verse 3, nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Israel, in the future, is going to have the gospel and draw men to the gospel. Here's the most important thing that you can remember from this message that each of us as Gentile believers Owe oh, a debt of gratitude to the Jews for the gospel being sent through them to the Gentiles to the far reaches of the world. The gospel began with the Jews and goes out to the Gentiles. And so because you and I are sitting here either as a Messianic Jew or as a Gentile who've come to Christ, we owe a debt of gratitude to the Jewish people. First, we want to start where we always start, with what the Bible says about why Christ followers in America in the 21st century should support and stand strong with Israel. So here's biblical reasons for Christians support to support Israel. From the Old Testament, first of all, as Christians, we recognize and support the Abrahamic covenant found in Genesis 12 and Genesis 17. What are those covenants? Well, we talked about it not too long ago. We were going through the book of Genesis. God says that they would have their own country, their own nation. Remember, the Bible says God calls them the apple of his eye. The commitment of Abraham and the father together to this covenant. In Genesis 15, I wish we had time to turn there, but there was a symbolic agreement on this covenant. Animals were separated. There was a line between them. God with a smoking pot and a lantern goes between them. And he's saying it's all on me. It's my responsibility to keep this covenant, to make it happen. And so we see the first thing is he chooses a people. Second of all, Abraham would be a father of many nations. That's part of the covenant. In Genesis 12:3, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As we pause and think about that, faith in God's promises. Or today we would say faith in Christ, who is the confirmation of God's promises, is the way to become a child of Abraham. Obedience is the evidence that faith is genuine. Jesus said in John 8:39 if you were Abraham's children you would be doing the works Abraham did. Children of Abraham are people from all nations who put their hope in Christ. Like Abraham on Mount Moriah they don't let the loss of their most precious earthly possession stop their obedience. You who hope in Jesus Christ and follow him in obedience of faith are the descendants of Abraham and heirs of his covenant promises. So Abraham would be the father of the Jewish people through the birth of his promised son, Isaac. And Abraham was promised that they would inherit a land for God's people. Another aspect of this from the Old Testament is part of the promise to Abraham. God said he would bless those who would bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. Very simple, basic truth, a promise there. He says in Genesis 12:3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's why it's important that we as Christians need to be friends with those in the nation of Israel and the Jews around the world, and to stand up for them. Another aspect of the Old Testament, Jews and Christians are commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You know, it talks about praying for the peace of Jerusalem in Psalm two six. but as I was reading it again yesterday, there's also a promise that it will be good and secure for you, that as you pray for their peace, it brings blessing and comfort on your life as well. Well, what's the New Testament have to say about supporting and standing for Israel? Christians and Jews worship the same God. This is so important. Yahweh, Jehovah, we all look to the same God, whether you're a Jew who still hasn't received Christ as the Messiah, or here we are as Christians, we're on the other side of the cross, then we know Christ as Savior. There's an error in the notes on this next point. I got them flipped. Christianity is a sect of Judaism. That's how it should read. Christianity is a sect of Judaism. In other words, without Judaism, you would not have Christianity. This is kind of a big deal because when I was going through college, going studying for my first master's degree, all my focus was on the New Testament. And I didn't think I really needed to know much about the Old Testament as a pastor because most of my time I was going to be in the New Testament. And even as I was finishing up my second degree, my Master of Divinity, I put all the Old Testament stuff to the very end. And boy, was I surprised when I finally began to study with my professors the importance of the Old Testament and what it means to us. We cannot really begin to understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. And so that's why it's important that we understand that Judaism is so vital for us to understand in looking into the Old Testament. John Hagee, who's a pastor in San Antonio, Texas, many of you know him, He says, the fact of history is Judaism does not need Christianity to explain its existence, yet Christianity cannot explain its existence without Judaism. That's why the Old Testament is very important. Another thing to remember in the New Testament is the Jewish people gave us the entire word of God, not just the Old Testament. Those writers in the New Testament were all Jewish believers at that point. The Jewish people gave us the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You'll even hear Jesus refer to them as the leaders, the patriarch of our faith and Judaism. The Jewish people gave us the prophets and the apostles. Remember, the apostles as well were believing Jews. And then the Jewish people gave us Saul who became Paul. Saul, who became Paul. Saul was a very educated man. He probably had equivalent to two PhDs studying under the greatest rabbi, Gamaliel, back at the time. And yet, he said all that was lost because he wanted to know Christ as a Savior. And he is the one who wrote a very important part of the book of Romans. I encourage you, if you want to know more about the future of Israel, Study Romans 9, 10, and 11, where you see God's plan laid out as Paul wrote in that wonderful treatise. Well, the Jewish people gave us the first family of Christianity. Think about it. Mary and Joseph and Jesus were all Jews. And most importantly, you can star this one, the Jewish people gave us the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus had olive skin, unlike we see paintings here in our country. He was a Mediterranean person. And then the gospel went out to the Jew first and then later the Gentiles, as we said in our scripture reading. It all begins with the Jews and as we'll read in Revelation, it will end with the Jews as well. Jesus said in John 4, speaking to the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. And you remember the Samaritans and the Jews, they strongly disliked each other. There was a saying that when you walked south, you went around Samaria. You didn't walk through Samaria to get where you're going if you were a Jew. Jesus said to the woman at the well, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. The gospel came to the Jews first. Salvation is from the Jews And lastly, under this point, Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem during his millennial reign according to passages in the book of Revelation and Old Testament prophecies. The next point we see is the historical reasons Christians should support Israel. Now, I I love history. Maybe some of you don't, and maybe you'll glaze over for this point. But I think it's important for us to take a really quick overview of what Israel, what the Jewish people have been through all of their time that they've existed here on the earth. The first thing we see though is the formation of the Jewish people and the nation of Israel is a display of the sovereignty of God. God chose the Israelites unlike anyone else and called them his beloved, his chosen, the apple of his eye. Now we're gonna take a detour. If you're driving on a train, you go through a switch, we're gonna take a switch and I'm gonna take you into uh, what I teach uh, my students at Scott Community College as we use a secular history book. Number one, Judaism is more than a religion. Judaism is more than a religion, it's a culture. If you know anything about Judaism, even in the Quad Cities, many of the, the places around the world have community centers. And so it's a cultural place where they gather together, where they sing their songs that they've written, where they celebrate in unique ways. Judaism is also a people, a people group. Judaism is a religion, and there's many, many different uh, sects within Judaism. But it's also a people where Gentiles can convert to Judaism. So think about it. That's all-encompassing. You have agnostic Jews. You have secular Jews. You have Jews who are Orthodox, Jews who are Reformed. The other thing we need to know is the Jewish people are the most persecuted people in the history of the world. Here's where our history starts. So you know the ten tribes to the north split off from the two tribes to the south of Israel. And so the Assyrian captivity came in 722, before the Common Era, and they took those ten tribes, and they are the ten lost tribes of Israel. Nobody knows their descendancy from those people to this day, they're lost in history. Well, then later on, the Babylonian captivity, because continued idolatry by the Jews in 586 BC, came and took those other Jews that were left behind. Finally, a decree was given. Jews could return. Ezra, Nehemiah, they rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and they have a period there where they can exist without persecution. Persecution. Then the Roman Empire takes over in 37 before the Common Era. And you know from that time, Jesus was born. John the Baptist came and foretold of Jesus' coming. The big event that ended it all for the Jews in uh, Galilee there in Judea was the diaspora after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. The Jews were tired of um, the Roman Empire ruling over them And they decided to create an uprising. And for four years leading up to 70 AD, they had these skirmishes with them. And finally, the officials from uh, Rome decided that was enough. And he just went and crushed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And so they fled for their lives. A large group migrated to Alexandria, Egypt. Jews went to Babylon, Palestine, Egypt, Turkey, North Africa, Spain later on. And they were living in a place where they were comfortable and had religious freedom until Islam came along in the 7th and 8th centuries and then persecution from time to time from the Muslims. The Jews had to learn to practice their faith without temple, without sacrifice. And so Judaism became a religion of the law instead of sacrifices. The Jews in Spain in 1492 when King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella sent Christopher Columbus off to the West Indies. They also expelled all the Jews out of Spain in that same year. The Jews head to Portugal, to Italy, to Morocco, to the Balkans, to Turkey. They eventually move on to Europe and into Muslim countries. And then Rome decided to send the Crusades, the Crusaders out to fight against them. And of course, the Christians were upset with the Jews because they blamed the Jews for killing Jesus. But, of course, we need to be reminded that the Roman government was complicit with them as well. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. So by the end of the 15th century, the Jews were expelled. They didn't have anywhere to go. They were unwelcome in nearly every European country. And they find a new home in Eastern Europe in 1600. And keep that in mind as you think about the Holocaust going forward. They settle in Eastern Europe in Poland, which is now you know Poland and Austria and those places that are uh, countries now. Pogroms were performed. Pogroms were opportunities where uh, the leaders would get a group of soldiers. They would come into a Jewish community and they would kill the Jews, mostly men. And if you know anything about the Jewish faith, they were to bury their dead that same day. But to humiliate them even more, they left these dead carcasses in the street for several days to further humiliate them before they allowed them to be buried. The term ghetto, we use the term ghetto, first came about in Eastern Europe when uh, leaders of those countries made the Jews live in certain sections of town. Sometimes they were walled around. They would have curfews, they would be limited to the business uh, opportunities that they would have, the interaction with the rest of that city so the ghettos were established. At some point, the Jews were forced to wear yellow badges, further stigmatizing them in society so people would see that badge and know exactly who they were right away. So all of a sudden, during this time, there was a lot of different divisions developing within Judaism as far as schools of thought, the Reformed, the Orthodox, the Hasidic, and others that we could talk about. But a key event happened. In 1894, in the midst of all this going on, there was a French captain. He was Jewish, and his name was Alfred Dreyfus, and he was accused by the officials of betraying the French military army by sharing secrets with the enemy during the Franco-Prussian War. While well, anti-Jewish uh, hysteria grouped, gripped all of France, and Dreyfus was convicted on weak evidence, and after he was convicted and sentenced, It was found that all the evidence was erroneous, but yet they let him live in squalor conditions in a prison cell. Well, a Jewish reporter, Theodore Herzl, for a paper covered the Dreyfus case. And Herzl, to his credit, got a bunch of leaders together in the Jewish community, said, hey, we're never gonna get treated fairly here. Let's go and establish our own place, our own nation. And so Herzl began to lead groups of people to what is now known as Israel or Palestine at the time, and they would set up settlements and places where they would buy land and begin to have families. Tel Aviv, the city was established during this time. So the early 1900s, the Jews began buying and settling there in Palestine. In 1917, after World War I, the Balfour Document declared, remember Britain was the one in charge of this area, after World War I, Britain was governing Palestine and they declared that Britain views with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. Arab and Muslim Christians in that region objected to Jewish occupation of their land and homes. The British sought to limit Jewish immigration there to 15,000 as they were trying to flee Hitler in Europe as he was beginning his reign of terror. And I want to pause here, and I want you to think about what Adolf Hitler's theology was and what helped him to see that he had biblical evidence to do what he did. Look at this screen as Hitler rose to power in a speech in 1922. He says, My feeling as a Christian point me to my Lord and Savior as a fighter. It points me to the man Jesus, who once in loneliness, surrounded by a few followers, recognized these Jews for what they were and summoned men to fight against them and who, God's truth, was greatest, not as a sufferer. Jesus wasn't a sufferer. He was a fighter. In boundless love, as Hitler says, as a Christian and as a man, I read through the passage which tells me how the Lord at last rose in his might and seized the scourge to drive out of the temple the brood of vipers and adders or snakes. How terrific was Jesus' fight against the Jewish poison. Today, after 2,000 years with deepest emotion, I recognize more profoundly than ever before the fact that it was for this that Jesus had to shed his blood upon the cross. As a Christian, Hitler said, I have no duty to allow myself to be cheated, but I have the duty to be a fighter for truth and justice. And as a man, I have the duty to see to it that human society does not suffer the same catastrophic Collapse, as did the civilizations of the ancient world some 2,000 years ago. A civilization which was driven to its ruin through the same Jewish people. That's Adolf Hitler's view from a Christian perspective of why the Jews had to be destroyed. During his rise of power, many of the evangelical and liberal churches sided with Hitler, and they became known as the cooperating church and they took the lead from whatever Hitler and his regime said to do in their churches. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer and many others developed the Confessing Church, where they stood up against it. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was obviously arrested for uh, his rebellion against Hitler, trying to lead the churches against him. You know, he said to not act is to act, to be silent is not to be silent. He chose to speak up against this horrific thing. The next thing we see on your outline here is that the Jewish people have land that they've possessed in the past, in the present, and the future. The Old Testament occupation was promised to Abraham. And, of course, Joshua led the Israelites, 2 million of them, into the promised land. But we see today the modern state of Israel that began in 1948. As I said before, the British government had colonized that area, and the British government in 1917 issued the Balfour Declaration, which declared that British people supported the creation of Palestine as a national home for the Jewish people. And you can imagine, after World War II, the empathy people had after it was discovered, all the horrific things that the Jews had gone through. Well, the Declaration, the Balfour Declaration was enthusiastically accepted by the Jews worldwide but was opposed by Palestinian and Arab leaders who later claimed that the objective that they were sending forth from the British government was a breach of promise made to the sheriff of Mecca, a Muslim leader, in 1915 in exchange for Arabs helping fight the Ottoman Empire during World War I. You'll have to do your research and read more on that but basically they set up an a, a Islam leader during World War I to protect Mecca and Medina, two very holy sites for the Muslims, so they could still take their pilgrimages. And in their mind, in exchange for that, they would have the right to what is the land known as Israel today. Many different proposals have been made and continue to be made to resolve the dilemma of these competing objectives. One is including an Arab state with or without a significant Jewish population. Another is a Jewish state with or without significant Arab population. And another is a single bi-national state with or without some degree of division of territories. The other side, the Israel side of this story is that the British had this land, and it was called Palestine. And if you read stories back in the early 1900s up into 1940, that what Israel is now was pretty much an uninhabited, uninhabited wasteland. Very little agriculture, very, little, very few people were living there. And so this was a land that was open and given to them because no one really uh, was involved in taking care of this territory. Well, nonetheless, the British gave the land to the Jews and the United Nations recognized this act in 1947. And interesting, in 1948, when Israel declared themselves an independent state, the president then, Harry S. Truman, was the first world leader to recognize Israel's estate just 11 minutes after one of the leaders of Israel, David ben Gurion, declared the independence of Israel. The United States has been an ally and a supporter of the nation of Israel from its very beginning. And Israel, as we know, has encountered many acts of aggression and wars against them. And they've been successful in defending themselves even though they are vastly outnumbered. Some believe this is because Israel is protected by God. Some believe that Israel has the finest army in all the world. Why not? Every day, their existence is threatened. Uh, They just recently, as we said, had 2,000 missiles lobbed into their country. And Hamas, not the major Palestinian people, but Hamas, the terrorist group, is a militant Palestinian nationalist Islamic movement in the West Bank and Gaza Strip that's dedicated to the annihilation of Israel. Look at their charter up on the screen. They state this Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it just as it obliterated others before it. So not the Palestinian Christians or the Arab uh, Muslims so much, but this group is pledged for the annihilation of Israel. Back to your outline, the future state of Israel is Christ and Christ's millennial reign. The future state of Israel and Christ's millennial reign. As we look forward in history, as stated in the book of Revelation and other scriptures, God will once again in the future bring Israel back to the land it was originally promised. In Revelation chapter 12, it tells us that uh, Satan will be cast out of heaven with his demons. And they will not be allowed access to Talk with God, as we see in the book of Job, they once were. And as they're there on earth, Satan, he will do everything he can to thwart Israel from coming to faith in Christ. Because if Israel, during the tribulation, comes to faith in Christ, it warrants the second coming of Jesus Christ, which will seal the fate of Satan once and for all. At least 144,000 Jews will come to faith as prophesied in Revelation 14. Look at these verses on the screen. Revelation 14, the Apostle John said, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. With him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder There's a lot to unpack in that passage. But take away the fact that 144,000 Jews are gonna become Messianic Jews. The blinders will be removed and they will see that Jesus is their savior. Then the new Jerusalem will come down to earth. Take your Bible, turn over to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem will come down to earth and land in Jerusalem where Jesus will rule and reign forever from the land promised so very long ago to Abraham. And isn't it great when we read through the Bible, God will always want to dwell with his people, Jews and Gentile believers alike. What a glorious day Revelation 21 will be. Revelation 21, verse 1, then uh, the apostle John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, write these down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment, the grace of God in the future. So we've looked at the biblical and historical reasons why we must support and stand with Israel. Here are just a few reasons, politically speaking, why it's strategic for us as Americans to continue to support and stand with Israel. And remember, when uh, biblical issues uh, intersect with political issues, then Christians, we need to speak up about these things. First of all, they are the only democracy, as I said, in the Middle East. Very important. They're the only democracy in the Middle East. They have never lost a war, even though they've been outnumbered each time in battle. There's a great set of DVDs in our library that uh, chronicles all the wars and all the things that have happened to Israel and how they miraculously, with the hand of God, I believe, overcame their enemies. Then they've been they have been a faithful ally of the United States. They are a positive deterrent against terrorism and its growth in the region and beyond. Those are the political reasons. So why do we talk about this? Why Christians should stand with Israel? Here's some summary and action steps very quickly to apply to your life. I wanna make it very clear that I'm not against those who are the enemies of Israel. The Palestinian Christians and Arabs, they certainly are um, made in God's image and they're people that we need to have compassion and empathy for as well. Just like we care for the Jews who live around the world. All lives matter to God, and the gospel is available to all. We need to seek the best for all parties and a way to engage in peaceful reconciliation going forward. So very quickly, here's some things that you can take away this week in your life. First of all, because Christ followers And the church need to bless the nation of Israel with our support and gratitude. As a result, we, individually, as Christians, but also as a country, will receive blessings as well. We talked about that in Genesis 12.3, the promise to Israel. Second of all, because Christ's followers, the church need to stand with and for the Jews as they face persecution. As they face Persecution. This is a realistic thing to me because two years ago in December of 2019, not quite two years ago, we had an issue in our church here of a group that borrowed our building, and they allowed a white supremacist to speak. We were protested that week, Uh, and the amazing thing to me was the first group that called me weren't the evangelical Bible-believing churches, but it was Alan Ross and the Jewish community that called and said, hey, we're Jewish, we want to stand with you because you guys are Christians. In recent times, the Jews have stood for and supported Christians in a quiet way in their time of persecution around the world. As Christians, we need to own the fact that some in our past church history have spoken against and in some cases brought violence to Jewish people supposedly in Jesus' name. Toward the end of Martin Luther's life, he became very anti-Semitic, the founder of the Protestant Reformation. We mentioned the Crusades earlier. So we need to denounce the false teaching that's creeped into some churches and Christian colleges, universities and seminaries that the church has replaced Israel. That is a wrong teaching, as I said at the beginning. It's called supersessionism or replacement theology. One needs to read Romans 9 through 11 and Revelation 12, 14, and 21 to see that Israel has a very bright future in store in God's story. We're to be remind ourselves that we're not to blame the Jews for the death of Jesus. As I said, the Roman government was just as complicit in the, dis- in the decision to crucify Christ, and it was all part of God's divine plan. Look at these verses. Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter 2. He says to the Jews right then and there, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised them up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says, this concerning him. You and I, we must correct the past anti Semitic words and acts our church fathers did by standing strong in our support for the Jewish people. Think about how you portray Jewish people as a Christian when you're explaining stories from the Bible. We urge you to learn more deeply about Judaism as the Jews see it because it has so much depth and complexity. I appreciate Anne Gray teaching Hyassad and Torah Club. And those are things to help you see from a Jewish perspective. Thirdly, because Gentile Christians in the church must realize that we've been grafted into the faith due to the Jews' blindness of the Messiah and disobedience to God. And Dale, I think I'm going to skip these slides, but I encourage you to look at Romans chapter 11 when you have time. Look at verses 17 through 22. And what it teaches is because of Israel's unbelief that God broke the branches off of the olive shoot, the tree, and grafted the Gentiles in to that tree. And because of Israel's unbelief, we have the privilege of receiving the gospel as Gentiles. And it's important to note that because he is saying we owe our humble gratitude to the Jewish people. And we need to honor them and support them because we could do the very same thing and we could be cut off, as Paul said. Fourthly, because the time of the Gentiles is almost fulfilled. In Luke 21, 24, Jerusalem will be trodden down underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. We have a finished date. The church does. And once again, Israel will have a big part in the future. Number five, because God's gifts and calling of Israel is irrevocable and that Israel has a future in God's kingdom work. The reason I repeat that again, it says in Romans eleven twenty-eight. 28, but as regards the election, the Jews are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and call of God are irre- irrevocable, irrevocable. So there you go. It says right there in scripture that he will not break his promise. He will continue to hold it. Number six, because as Christ followers in the church, we're commanded to comfort the Jews and stand for them and with them. Isaiah 40, verses one through two, the blanks there are comfort and stand. Isaiah 40 says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Their iniquity is pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Isaiah 62 says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. And lastly today, this, because the gospel went to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. I finished where I began. We need to humble ourselves. We need to be grateful. We need to stand in support. We need to be there for the Jewish people. In Romans 1.16, Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. So here's our key thought. You and I, we must stand. We must support Israel because God stands and supports Israel as demonstrated in his word. We've covered a lot of territory today, but here's three questions as we get ready to pray. For you to think about this week. Maybe you're in this room and maybe you've struggled with being anti Semitic in your talk or thoughts of Jewish people. What are you going to do about that between you and your relationship to God and the relationship and your attitude toward Jewish people? Second of all, how will you stand up for Jewish people when someone is saying negative words or physically harming a Jewish person? What will you do about that if you're in that situation? How will you respond? And thirdly, will you make it your commitment this week to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and for the comfort of Jewish people all around the world? This is a serious issue. It's growing in our country, anti-Semitism. Here's a lot of things to help you for yourself, but also to share with others as to why we as Christians need to stand strong with God's chosen people, the Israelites. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... Um, This lengthy time that we took, I pray that we were engaged. But it's important to understand the history of Judaism, to understand what these folks have gone through, their sojourn through their lives and what they've faced. Help us as a church to come alongside our Jewish brethren and sisters here in our community and support them, encourage them. Help us to share the gospel with them so that they ultimately can Uh, have the understanding of who the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, is. But Lord, help us. Help us to share with others why it's so important that we be not anti-Semitic, but that we support and stand with Israel because they are God's chosen people, the apple of his eye. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.